This podcast is exclusively created for men searching for greater ways to connect to their queen and children on a deeper level and build keystone habits that will impact and enhance their movement, mindset, spirit, lifestyle, business, and legacy. Fathers of the Future is about the power of true, authentic storytelling with one sole purpose, to build a better dad. My name is Luke Kayem, and I am a father of the future. Welcome back to another Fathers of the Future experience. And if you hear a whole lot of chitter chatter in the background, that's because there are 25 CEOs about 15 feet away from my office, but there's only one Father of the Future that I'm sitting in front of. <laughs> I'm joined by somebody who I've seen on the big screen before and happened to run into here at the office, TJ Claussen. Welcome to the Fathers of the Future podcast my brother good morning thank you for having me luke appreciate yeah. it yeah man uh it's the power of connection you know you stopped me in the basement getting ready to get on an elevator and connected the dots that's right you did the above and beyond you went out of your way you were outgoing and that conversation led to understanding where i've seen you before at Impact Church on the big screen. And that conversation led to another friend of a guest we've had on the show, Colt Stevens. Yep. Which led to the fact that you are a father of three going on four. Going on four, man. Due November 30th. Uh, it's hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to start out with a story just because you're getting ready to have your fourth kid. Yes. And you're getting ready to have a vasectomy. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> so here's the story, and I'll keep it as brief as I can because I want to know all about you. After our second child, one boy and one girl, my wife had a challenge with uh, birth control. An IUD got lost, and she had to have an emergency surgery, three days in the hospital, didn't know what it was from. Wow. After that, I said, I'm going to go get my vasectomy because she had been on birth control since we started having sex at 16 years of age. Yeah. And I, th I said, you know what? No longer do you need to be doing this. Let me go and do it. Uh, married to one woman, want one partner and vice versa. I'll go do it. So I go, I schedule the appointment. You have to do a consult first. Yep. I go to the consult. I believe his name was Dr. Brita or Brito. He says, you've been here before? I said, <laughs> no. Because you sure? You scheduled a consult in October of 2012, three years ago. I said, oh, you know what? Maybe I did. He goes, he goes don't worry about it. 50% of the people who consult don't come back for the actual surgery. Wow. It's part of it. It's one in two just decide not to come back. But you're here now. What's the difference? So I explained to him. He goes, no problem. You're going to be my last case on Friday before Christmas break. So you got a long weekend. Here's what to expect. Here's what you do. So I thought, you know what? Let me get some preparation in, right? The, the day before, let me yes. shave my own scrotum. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I shaved away thinking, you know what? If I did it, nobody else had to do it. I go, I check in. They put me in the waiting room. They send me in and they say, put on this gown. We'll be back in 10 minutes. Come back in. It's a woman. And she says, lay on your back. And she pulls out the straight <laughs> razor and she begins to straight razor shave oh boy my scrotum and okay. the surrounding area so we're now in the game let's roll it's time that's right i go into the operating room and i remember i had a hoodie on and you know fully dressed from the waist up but nothing but down below the doctor comes in he goes hey luke you're my last case for the year 
We're not doing them again until January, and I have a new staff member. And I'd love for her to be able to see this. Is that okay with you? Why not? She comes in and all I can see is beauty behind her mask. I just know that there's beauty there and it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> and for a minute, I finally break the silence and say, this is your first time? She says, yes, we laugh. I say, am I gonna be the story at Christmas dinner? She laughs. I said, you're gonna be the story too. Ha, ha, ha. 15 minutes later, zoop, zoop, and I'm done. Wow. So let me just intro this conversation about being a father is taking responsibility and owning your penis thank you thank you yes and that what you're going to go through what a lot of men go through don't let it psych you out it's a very powerful thing to do to make a decision that you're no longer going to be breeding children in this world yes you got three and one on the way tell us about your first daughter tell us about the role that you took when you first met your wife the crucible is the most challenging mental, physical, and spiritual day of your entire life. This week's episode is brought to you by the crucible. What is it? It's an intense training for men that will awaken your primal power. It will ignite the spark inside of you so that you can wake up on fire and win the day every day. This course is 20 years in the making of literally throwing myself into the pit of every type of training out there from seal fit to warrior to Kilimanjaro to Tony Robbins to world's toughest mutter endurance races. It is by far one of the most extreme programs on the planet for the simple fact that it's not just physical it's mental it's not just mental it's spiritual it's not just spiritual it is emotional and it's not just one of those things but it's all those things wrapped into a visit from the ghost of christmas past this is the first time we've really gotten into the depth of what this program is about for the simple fact that we have three dates on the calendar here in Scottsdale, Arizona, going into the best season of the year. It's also the most stressful season. It's the time of year that most people relax. They take their foot off the gas, they get their ass kicked by their family or their work or the weather, and the excuses pile on so that when January comes, they're ready to start another day and another year and another decade which is a bunch of bullshit. So we're sharing what this program is about. For those of you who have been committed and dedicated listeners of the Fathers of the Future podcast, The Crucible, October 18th, November 8th, December 6th, Scottsdale, Arizona. One day, two to four brothers, myself, one coach, 13 to 15 hours. What do you do? You go to the website, fathersofthefuture.com. You complete the application within 24 to 48 hours. I personally will reach back out to you to schedule your interview. And during that interview, we will see if you are a good fit and if you are accepted into the program. But understand that this is not for everyone. There's a select few individuals, those who are committed, those 
who plan on showing up, those who will invest in themselves, understanding that they don't know everything and that they have to continue to grow and expand in the arena of life in every area, not just one, in order to be multidimensional, in order to be a father of the future. And if this sounds like you, go to the website, do the work, and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Yeah, so you know, when I when I met my wife, my my oldest daughter, who's who's soon to be 12 years old, uh, was about two years old at the time. And uh I remember meeting the first time I met my my daughter, uh, my wife brought her to breakfast, and I had the pleasure of just seeing the the beauty and the innocence of this little girl. And I and, and I was a young kid at the time, right? I, I mean I was 24, 25 years old. And you know, I had to make a decision, you know, are you ready to step into that father's role? And I remember specifically really falling, not only for my wife, but falling in love with this, with this little girl. And I called my mom and I said, mom, you know, I think I met my future wife. And this is after, you know, one or two times of, of actually spending time with her and my daughter. And my mom said, well, I said, mom, I, I think I met my future wife, but she's got a two-year-old. And my mom, she paused. I was on the freeway. I'll never forget the conversation. I, I pa- she paused for a second. She said, "Well, son, I think you're ready. Do you think you're ready?" And I said, "Mom, I'm, I'm ready. Like I've been through so much. I, I had been through a lot of stuff, even in that in that first 25 years of life, losses, you know, struggles, um, addictions. I've I'd been through a lot, and I was." I was emotionally, physically ready to, to make a commitment for a lifetime. And I said, mom, I am, I am ready. And she goes, well, sweetie, if you're ready, I know, I know you'll make a great father. And that was still, you know, I was at a point in my life where I still had some struggles. Uh, but I, I, I made a conscious, conscientious effort to, you know, give my wife and my daughter now, um, my whole heart and time and energy. And, uh, it was, it was a beautiful thing. I, I, I love her like my own. I don't even take the stepfather title, to be honest. Uh, I am her dad. Um, I'm a hundred percent, uh, involved and been there from, from that day that I met her. And so she calls me dad and, and, uh, I, I just, I wouldn't, take it back for anything. She's, she's my little girl. She'll always be my little girl, even though she's going on 12. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful to hear this story go into a little more depth uh, as we talked about in the pre-interview about the day that you told her that you were not her biological father. Yeah. And, and the description that you, you know, of her being a little bit different and you being a little bit different and having to explain that to her, before she heard it from someone else. That's right. I mean, it was, you know, it's a challenge, right? Because as a parent, you, you, you don't ever want to lie to your kids. Right. And I had been involved in her life at such a young age that when she hit six, seven, you know, she was, she was convinced that I was, I mean, she called me dad. Um, she was convinced that I was her biological father and not that she fully grasped what that meant at six or seven years old, but you could tell that because her skin was a little bit darker than mine, um, there was still a question in her mind, you know, like where, where, where did I fit in? I call you dad. I don't remember anything, but you being there, um, you know, how does this all fit? 
And so I had consulted with a couple of close friends of mine, um, uh, Andre Wadsworth, a, a pastor friend of mine. And, and I just said, Dre, you know, how do I bring this up? I don't want her to be to, to hit, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old and still be, conv- you know, uh, believe a lie in her mind. Right. Not that I was intentionally, you know, keeping anything from her, but I didn't want her to, to get of an older age and still be confused. And so I had to make a con, uh, conscious decision to sit her down and have that discussion with her that, sweetie, you know, I'm not your biological father. And so I asked her, I said, how do I handle that? I, 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 cr- I remember getting very emotional and crying about that, that specific conversation. I was so nervous about what if she looks at me differently, right? If she finds out I'm not her biological father, is she going to, is she going to view me differently? Is she going to have the same love that she has for me now? Because it was such an unconditional love, right? Um, and I was very nervous about the conversation. So I prayed about it and, um, you know, Andre and I prayed about it together. And when I sat her down, it was, I made it a lot bigger of a deal than it, than it, uh, than it ended up being in my mind, it was a big deal, but I sat her down and I said, you know, listen, sweetie, you know, you do look a little different than me. Uh, the reason being is that, you know, I'm not your biological father. When I met your mother, um, you were already two years old, but I made a choice. I fell in love with not only your mom, but I fell in love with you. And I, I chose to love you. I chose to love your mom, but I chose to love you. And I, I and I wanted you to be my daughter. And, and I think it was, is her hearing that she was chosen, you know, that, uh, and, and chosen to be loved that uh solidified you know that conversation and 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 our relationship moving forward it was a beautiful thing um it was it's it you know it it could bring tears to my eyes right now it's it was it was powerful for sure that's (laughs) super beautiful to hear when somebody titles these podcasts, right? So a big part of this, and, and by the way, this is TJ's first podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not too far ahead of you, man. This is like 22. The conversation's always been there. You have a lot of real conversations. I, I do as well, but putting the mic in front changes things a little bit. Yeah. We're going to go real. We're going to go raw. We're going to be authentic and genuine. And you're like, yeah, that's it. That's, that's me, man. But ultimately when... When I go back and listen to these, I'm looking to extract what are the bullet points, but what's the title that really sticks. And when somebody says the title in their own words in, in the first couple of minutes, man, it makes me it makes me teary-eyed, man. Cause That's like awesome. what you just said was that I chose to love you. Amen. And that is something that so many men do not do. And that's, that's why this podcast even exists, is because my father did not choose to love me. And I can say that, you know, confidently, and I can say it with certainty and power that, you know, had I had half of the father that I wanted, I probably would not be the half of the man that I am today. Mm -hmm. So in your life, you taking full responsibility for your daughter and for two other kids. Yes, that's right. And one more coming. One more, one more coming. Yeah. You're, 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 I don't know if you have a, a big vehicle, but uh, it should be coming right now. Right? We were uh, we were looking at Suburbans the other night yeah. for sure. So yeah. yeah, my wife would be happy with a with a giant van, and I put my foot down. I said, yeah. No, 
<laughs> that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's, 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 we're going the suburban route yeah, for sure. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So understanding that that responsibility is so important and vital to the role as a father and that so many men don't take that. What was your own relationship like with your father growing up and, and what is it now? Yeah. So, you know, I remember growing up a lot of, a lot of tough times. So my, my parents split when I was about two years old and I lived primarily with my mother. Um, and, you know, up until about junior high, my relationship with my father was a lot of, you know, a few hours here during the week. We, you know, we would always do stuff. He would, he would always make it a point to, to be present, but, um, they were, they were short periods of time. So we'd, we'd go goofy golfing at Cracker Jacks on Scottsdale road there, uh, that's still up in North Scottsdale. We'd go goofy golfing or we'd go to Chuck E. Cheese, but they were small, you know, time blocks. Right. So I, 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 my, my, most of my deep memories are with my mother, my grandmother, uh, up until junior high. And in junior high, I started spending the the night at my father's house. And that was a big, a big change, a big shift for me, starting to spend the night with my father, seeing how my father operated. And there's something about a, a, a son and a, and a father's love and that connection that, you know, sons yearn for that, that connection with their father. I, I wanted to be close to, to my father. And so started spending the night with my dad, watching how he operated. He was a very driven, successful real estate developer. Um, and I wanted to be like him and, uh, it made my mom nervous, to be honest. Uh, it made her nervous that she saw me, you know, desiring, even more from my father. I wanted to be around him more. I wanted to hang out, hang out with him. And so when I got, when I got my license at 16, I started spending half of my time at my father's house and half at my mother's because I had a choice. I love my mom. She did an incredible job, you know, raising me those, those early years. But like I said, you want to be close to your dad. You want to, you know, somebody that, that you can model yourself after. And so we developed a very, very strong relationship um, in in junior high and high school as I got older. And he became my best friend. Uh, he became my best friend uh, through those high school and college years. I mean, I had nobody closer. The difference was that, you know, he did take on a lot of that friendship type of role as opposed to a fatherly role. And there's a big difference there. Um, you know, something that I know I strive to do with my kids is I want to stay as that fatherly role and not move into you're my best friend, because I think it's a dangerous spot, uh, to be in, um, you know, as, as a father, you have an unlimited responsibility to your kids as a friend, friendships come and go. And that's a dangerous position um, to be in if, if, if you're not acting as a father, but as a friend. Uh, so I always just, I, I want to be my kid's father. I want to, to know that I'm, I'm a safe spot for them to have discussions with. I always want them to be open and honest. They, they don't need to hide anything from me. And I always encourage them to just be truthful and we'll work it out. Um, but I want to stay in that father role because with myself growing up, it, it was a little bit different that I dynamics were different and we had a little bit of a falling out 
because of that. With um, your father. With my father. Yeah. After you reestablished a relationship. That's right. After we reestablished the relationship, uh, because we went through some tough times. Um, I went through some substance abuse issues. Um, uh, and it, we had a, a pretty rough falling out actually, um, working through that. And we've, we've now, you know, fully reconciled and we're back together, um, in terms of, of friendship wise, but still it's as a friend, uh, you know, and, and he's, he's a, he's a, he was a good dad, but, um, uh, and he's, he's a good grandfather to my kids. Uh, but, uh, you know, it doesn't, didn't come without its challenges for sure. Yeah. First time on the show, I'm going to ask this question. Do you see a correlation in the way that you treated possibly women and substances with how your dad may use women and substances? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. In fact, yeah. um, you know, and that's, that's why I say it was a friendship role. Um, I spent many nights with my father and his wife drinking at the bars with them in Scottsdale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the classical Scottsdale douche playboy. Yes. Uh, you own that title. I do. Yeah. 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 And, and you own it with power and authority knowing that you are no longer. That's right. That version of you. That's right. It takes a lot of work, man. And for you to have that uh, ability and that gift at 33 is pretty phenomenal. I, I shared with you also in the precast that I didn't, I didn't wake up until 30 and I truly didn't become awoke until a couple of years ago. Yeah. What sort of work have you done? What organizations have you been a part of? What are you currently doing to no longer own that title, but to own the title of, of husband and, and father and um, commercial real estate broker here in Arizona? That's right. Well, yeah, when, it, you know, when I met my wife, I was still that Scottsdale typical douche, right? Um, and I do own that title uh, because it's it's honestly, it's my testimony. When I met my wife, uh, she told me that almost a contingency to date her uh, was going to be that she wanted to, to go to church. She grew up in the church. She had a, a strong relationship with Christ. And she said, if we're going to date, you know, that she, she wanted to go back to church. She wanted to find a church that we could call home. And, uh, my wife will tell you a story. Uh, when, when we first started dating, she asked me to go to a church service with her, um, you know, on, on Sunday morning. And I made the mistake of going out and partying on Saturday night. And I'll never forget. I called her that Sunday morning. I was hungover, and I said, you know, Shannon, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to meet you. I, I just don't feel well. She didn't realize I was extremely hungover. Um, you know, couldn't, couldn't really get out of bed. She, well, she was actually in the church parking lot waiting for me and she had been praying and said, you know, God, if this is the one, you know, she had been, she, she thought I was the one. And when I called her and said, I'm not going to make it, I, I probably called her two, three minutes before the service was supposed to start. Right. Didn't give her a heads up. She, she sat in the parking lot and she cried, you know, she, cause she was there, she was waiting for me already. And she was just like, God, I thought this was the one, you know, now he just called me because he's hung over and he's not making it. Right. Um, but <laughs> so she, she still laughs about that story. 
how but, many how many days, weeks, months, years did it take you to understand that you could be resilient and that she could trust you and that you could, in in my world, follow rule number one, which is show up. Yeah, that's that's good, man. You do have to show up, and uh, you know it, it took time. You know we're creatures of habit, and I was a creature of of really self destructing habits. Um, so it, it took a lot of time and effort, but I, uh, gosh, I just can't even tell you what an amazing woman that I was lucky enough to, to have come into my life. So it, it took a good year of, of breaking those, those bad habits and replacing them with healthy habits and, and habits that you can build on. Um, so we started, we started looking for a home church, um, and it took about a year of, of, going to different, uh, different, different facilities and different services before we found Impact Church in North Scottsdale. Uh, Impact Church was founded by a guy named Andre Wadsworth, who's the third overall draft pick behind Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. Um, started Impact Church as a Bible study with the Cardinals. And when we started going there, there was only a couple hundred people. Um, and so Andre was out front. I remember the first, first day we went to service and, you know, kind of stopped, stopped me and talked to me and and we sat through the service and we just immediately felt at home. Um, you know, you, you've probably been through a service where you you feel like the pastor's talking to you. He points you out. You know, he's not even looking at you, but his message is just hit, hitting home towards you. Um, and so we, we, we immediately felt at home. And where I started to see tremendous growth in my walk with Christ and my, my personal development is when we started to get involved um you know if you, if you go to church on a sunday yes that that's that's incredible and you'll you'll get uh, you'll get fed but it won't um it won't it won't uh, completely satisfy that hunger for more um what needs to happen is is once you get involved once you insert yourself into a small group and start to get uh, to know other people at the church, once you start serving, um, that's when you really start to see yourself grow and you start to see, um, you know, improvements, uh, in, in who you are as an individual. So we started serving. I started doing, uh, just the ushers. I started being an usher at church, uh, got involved in small groups at that time. Uh, our small group was Andre and about three other guys and just hearing real men raw, who have real world issues, just like you do. I mean, you know, going to church, a lot of people think there's, you have to be perfect. And, and that's the complete opposite. You know, God says, come as you are. Um, and, and be vulnerable, be who you are, because life, life's full of, of, of troubles, man. We all go through them all the time. No one's any different than us. We all have hurts, habits, and hangups, right? And, and so you have to come as you are, come, come broken. And, and that's what that Bible study was. I was able to hang out with, with four or five other guys who had real issues, but they were working through it and they, they found ways to overcome their problems, um, and, and to continue to move forward in life in a positive manner, instead of self-destructing into what I was used to drugs, alcohol, women, you know, it was it was an amazing thing yeah shout out to uh, impact church it's been a church of ours that we would call home now for i'd say about the last maybe six seven years and we yeah. played around a little bit and 
you know, my son was baptized in a Catholic church that literally I had to have like an eye scan and a blood test to make sure <laughs> that I was Catholic. And, you know, my mom grew up as a Catholic in the 40s where she was left handed and they beat her with a ruler. Wow. So growing up for me, it was, you know, faith, not religion. Yeah. It, it was spirituality, you know, not um uh, connection to a, a certain place. But what I love most about impact is it doesn't matter how often you go or when you go. It is a very comfortable place. The music is amazing. There's some people like my father-in-law who's very Catholic who might say it's pop culture, mm -hmm. but guess what? It works yeah. for the entire family. Yeah. And my kids and I and my wife can go and just know that, you know, most of the people in that room are probably there for some of the same reasons that we are. Yeah. And that it makes you really feel comfortable. Uh, Pastor Travis obviously does a phenomenal job. He does. Of, of connecting and relating the story to, you know, the, I heard him say something once. So I was like, y'all must be stoned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like I froze for a minute and looked around. Did he just say that yeah, in church? Yeah. <laughs> That's that's the power of finding a place yeah. like like impact is that it connects you to your children. You're on the same way same wavelength talking about some of the same things that happen. It, it is a modern day church. Yeah, that's the best way to describe well, it. Well, and, it, and it's real life. We're we're all broken. I mean, it, becoming a Christian or, or finding your walk with God it, it doesn't mean you're never going to have an issue again. It means it, it, it's the exact opposite. I mean. We still have to go through life and life is going to come with challenges and, and hurts and, and losses. And, you know, I mean, everybody there is broken and it's, it's how we can overcome it together and uh, impacts just the, it's the most real church I've ever, I've ever been yeah. to. No one's holier than thou. Everybody's broken and, yeah. and, you know, on, uh, in a search for the same thing, right? Yeah, and if you're listening to this right now, you're like, no, oh, I'm not broken. I got my stuff together. I'm broken every day by the end of the day. That's right. And I am broken even more at the end of the week. So, <laughs> yes. and I do a lot of work on me. So if you're listening to this and you don't go to church and you're not reading and you're not exercising and you're not meditating, you're not having real conversations, you are super broken. Yeah. And you don't have it's the good. glue to glue yourself back together. That's good. Church is by far the first step in realizing that, and you're going to do a much better job of this than me, God is always available. Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be impact either. I mean, that's where we chose, but yeah. find what works for you, right? You yeah. have to find a style that works for you. Um, and that, and that could be in, you know, more Orthodox Presbyterian, you know, style or whatever it may be, but find, find you, right? Yeah. Find what works for you because we all are broken. We, we do need the help sometimes. Yeah. So tell me about these other two kids. Oh, uh, man. What, what happened? You got married. Yes. She, she said yes. You got you sobered up. You Thank went God. to church. Yes. Uh, you adopted your daughter. Yes. Yep. Yep. 100% custody. Yep. You and your wife. Tell us about these uh, these other two and the third one coming. Oh man, so so there, there's a little bit of a gap, but uh, my my son Taze, he is five years old. Uh, he'll be Very cool six name, by next the way. April. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's all credit to you, Shannon, uh, my my wonderful yeah. wife. You know she likes the unique names, and we went the uh, the the T thread because my name starts with the T. Uh, my oldest starts with the T. So Taze, uh, he'll be six in April. 
And, uh, you know, it, it's funny, the difference between girls and boys, man. I mean, he is just, he's all over the place. He's always, you know, he's always punching something, hitting something, throwing something, breaking something, destroying something. Um, uh, but I love it. Uh, it, it. You know, there's there's a bond between a father and son that's, uh, you know, very unique. Uh, so that's my son, Taze, loves, loves golf, golf, baseball. Um, golf, baseball, basketball, and soccer right now are kind of his like four mains. Um, and boy, he's, it's funny. All my kids look like my wife. They all act like me. And it's kind of a running joke in the family, man, because he is, they've all got these attitudes. They're all, my, my wife is so even keeled, you know, she's never at a 10. She's never at a two. She's always a seven and a half and she stays there. Right. And she is just, so she is truly my foundation. Uh, but then, and, you, and we call them emotional. We're the emotional oh, ones. Right, 100%. 100%. We, we're a hundred percent the emotional ones. Right. I, I rock at a 15 down to, you know, <laughs> these days now, you know, I try not to go below five, yeah. but dude, I rock, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. Right. And luckily she's my foundation. She's, I know, that she's my safe, my safety. She's, she's the place where I know what I'm going to get. She's always there for me. And she's just always even at a seven and a half. Right. But my kids, <laughs> they look like her. They look just like her. Uh, but they, uh, my son is, he's a, he's got, you know, very OCD ish. Like I, like I was, he's a perfectionist, man. He'll go through, you know, uh, just a simple drawing. And if he doesn't get it right, dude, he'll go through 40 pieces of paper, <laughs> trying it again, making sure it's perfect. Uh, and that's, that's just him. He's, he's, he's a perfectionist. He's emotional. Um, you know, he wants to, he wants to always be his best, which is, it's great to see. So that's my, that's my middle son, my youngest right now. True. Uh, she'll be three October 18th. So she's just coming up to, to three years old. Love, and, love that age. My favorite age of my oh little girl my goodness. is three, four, five. And that's and there's also something totally unique and special about a father and, and his daughter. Um, you know, like my oldest, she's she is just a bundle of love, man. She's she's my cuddler. She will just, I mean, the way that she hugs you. You know, you you just can't replicate it. The the feeling and the warmth that you get from this little, you know, she's she's a she's tall like her mom, but she's a peanut. She's like twenty five pounds, right? But you 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 would feel like it's a bear hug, right? Yeah. Like a bear's hugging you. She's just the warmth that she gives out is incredible. She's the most loving, motherly little three year old in the world. Um, Eat it up, because at ten, oh. that little girl is not as cuddly and loving oh. as she was. You're, you're telling oh, me, man. man, and and it goes by so fast. Yeah. I know that it sounds cliche. Everybody says it, but you know, honestly, that's probably why we're we're on to number four is because uh, we we love our kids so much, and and time does just fly by that we were like, you know, we, we would almost regret not doing this one more time and, and having this, none of our kids were planned by the way. Mm-hmm. So they were all, you know, we're they just going to let chosen. this happen. None of yep. them planned. They were all chosen. They were all chosen. Yeah. None of them planned. I love that. that that's a, exactly right. And so we, we always knew that, Hey, we wanted to have a, a fourth. And uh, so, yeah, I've got number four due November 30th of this year, uh, 2019. Uh, 
I've been playing zone for the last, you know, three years already. <laughs> Moved from man, man defense about uh, five years ago. Been playing zone ever since. Uh, so, you know, we're going to look at a different coverage when the, the fourth arrives. Uh, prevent D. That's, that's, yeah. that's right. We're going to move yeah. to a prevent defense. Um, so I've had a couple uh, <laughs> brothers of mine on the show who are African-American. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I always like to go deep. My mom was a civil rights worker in the 60s, grew up uh, fighting Hawaiian sovereignty. I've never seen colors as they are. Yeah. Um, Nor have I. Do you see and feel racism when you're out? Um, have you had anything ever happen to you or your wife that makes you guys feel uncomfortable? Has anybody ever said anything to you with a beautiful six foot tall African-American queen by your side? No. Well, so my wife's not African-American, uh, but uh, so my father's wife is African-American. I've got two African-American younger brothers. Um, and my daughter is a quarter. Mm. So her biological father was half. Mm. Um, and, uh, so, so I, my family is the definition of, of diversity, yeah. right? So my whole father's side, you know, I've got African, African American, uh, stepmother who I just call my other mom, by the way. Um, my two younger brothers who are, I love to death, you know, half, half African American, my aunts, uncles, um, you know, it'd probably be a better, better question for them. I know that, you know, they all, uh, appreciate, uh, living in this country, um, that it's, it's provided them with the opportunities that, that sadly, uh, African-American or, or, or Indian or Asian or, or other ethnicities, ethnicities around the world can get, you know, um, oppressed, but they're, they feel very lucky to be, to have been born into this country. Um, and no, I would say that they feel, they feel overall very, very, um, very lucky. The, the sad thing is, you know, Andre, Andre will tell you where there's people, there's poop. Um, so the sad thing is we do live in a world where there's always going to be a bad apple. Um, and, and an individual who just is so short-sighted that they do see color, mm. um, and and that's it's a sad thing to see because as as you just said I, I there's no color in my mind I mean it, we're we're all people we're all flawed we're all broken, um, and and the cut co the color of our skin means nothing man yeah. it's just it means absolutely nothing, um, and uh, so yeah you know my my daughter is my oldest is is a quarter African American um, and. Uh, you know, she's probably too young to, to, to have experienced some of that, but, uh, she's, she's got uh, a bright future ahead of her. And I think she has all the opportunity in the world to, to take advantage of, of, of who she is as an individual color aside. So talk to us about commercial real estate space. Uh, how long you've been in the game, what sets you apart and uh, what we call shameless self-promotion in this next few minutes on, on how people can find you here specifically in Scottsdale and Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. So uh, I started a company called Ox Urban Properties. So OX uh, Urban Properties in 2008 with a gentleman by the name of Jose Ramirez. He's my, uh, my partner. Um, Jose and I created this in 2008 um, and I went, went through some, some, some struggles in about 2011 and ended up selling him my interest in the company uh, and then 
coming back full circle in 2014 and, and, uh, rejoining forces, uh, to, to take Ox to where it is today. But long story short, Ox Urban Properties, yeah, we're a, we're a commercial boutique commercial real estate brokerage firm, um, with a passion in, in commercial real estate and real estate development. Um, you know, our focus had always been to be a little bit different than the bigger brokerage houses uh, in in the marketplace, you know, and and they have their their role, and and I'm friends with a ton of guys who work for CBE, RE, PCA, um, you know, Marcus Millichap, you, you name it. Um, but we wanted to break the mold, you know. They go through a very specific uh, process of being a runner, vice president, president, and they have this hierarchy of positions that they run through, and and they. They typically, and, and, and I know this is, is a generalization, but they typically put you into one asset category. Uh, they put you in a, on a retail team or an office team or an industrial team. So Jose and I, when we created two, uh, Ox in 2008, we decided to be the uh, area experts for, for downtown urban lifestyle. So instead of looking at one asset type, uh, let it be retail, um, we decided, you know, let's become, uh, the experts, uh, in, at, at the time, downtown Tempe, and let's make sure that if somebody wants to be in downtown Tempe, no matter what they're looking to do, uh, office retail, let's make sure they have to come through us because we'll be the guys that know everybody that will be the experts in that field. Um, and that model ended up working. We kind of forced the bigger bro- brokerage houses to go through us if, if their clients wanted to be in downtown Tempe. So fast forward, we moved to to uh, to here at our office at Southbridge. Uh, Which, in- by the way, the universe makes no mistakes. <laughs> That's right. I, we are sitting in your old office. That is right. Right it, now, it, 100 it, feet away from your new office, which right. is my new office. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's funny. I, I mean, I've literally sat in this room uh, hours and hours upon end. I've, I've stood on your patio making phone calls. It's, uh, it's fun. It, it is funny how the universe works. Yeah. It's 100% not by coincidence yeah. it's it's an it's amazing connection is critical for those of you guys listening right now i used to be very introverted i was not social uh, i did not enjoy people places or things i was dark i was negative and the simple fact of having a conversation with another man like i hated it i didn't That's even good. like man and like you i was raised by women my mom and my grandma which probably is a parallel to my dad being a, uh, a a ladies' man, if you will, yep. and that yep. was my path for a long time. So to get off of that path, to get back and get connected with myself, in order to have real conversations with other men, it it, it didn't just happen overnight, man. So for those of you listening, it is possible and it is critical. It's part of my survival now, is being able to have real conversations real Mm -hmm. deep meaningful conversations with other men and that's hopefully what you're getting out of these podcasts right now so it's super powerful man to be to be sitting in this space that was your space how many years were you in this oh gosh we were in this specific space for about two and a half years but we've been at southbridge for uh, since 2011 so we've been here for a while but to your to your point i just have to touch on that uh, it, it's so key, you know, because that's how you and I met. I, I talked to you in the, in the basement, getting on the elevator, but it's because of a, of a principle that I I've learned, you know, you can be going through a lot of hardship in your life. Personally, you can be going through struggles or hangups. Um, 
and, and you could think that you're, you know, you're in the worst position out of anybody that, you know, the best way to get out of that is to get into somebody else's life and figure out what they're going through, because you will soon find out that there are a lot of people around us that are going through a lot more difficult things than we are. And if we can, if we can help others get through their things, it, it makes our issues, it minimalizes our issues. And so, you know, I always try and just, you never, I, I didn't know who you were, right? I saw you in the elevator, but I'm like, you know, I'm going to say hi, see how he's doing. Maybe, you know, maybe you just needed a hi that day. Yeah. Maybe you needed a hello. Maybe you wanted to get something off your chest and a stranger is the perfect person to tell it to, right? Yeah. So it's, it's just funny, you know, get into other people's lives. Yeah. Insert yourself. Insert yourself. Eliminate you'll the find fear. how small your issues really are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something I learned training with the SEALs is under extreme physical and mental duress. Yeah. When you start to ask the question, how are you doing? Yeah. It eliminates your focus on yourself, your internalization of poor me, why me? That's exactly that's right. That's suffering. That's exactly right. Focus on the other person. And you've, you've created not only a life of that, but your business is also the same way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, we've, you know, we, we, we intentionally tried to be different, um, and, and become the experts in, you know, geographic regions. And so now we're kind of, you know, we're a group that specializes in urban infill projects. So downtown Scottsdale, downtown Gilbert, downtown Chandler, Phoenix, you know, we, we like to work on, you know, very unique boutique, uh, developments to bring and curate, curate, uh, unique retail environments and restaurant environments, office environments. So, you know, our focus isn't on the targets and Walmarts. Um, it's focused on, you know, creating, uh, environments that, that, that have unique local restaurateurs and artisans and, and, um, goods and services that, you know, uh, aren't, aren't owned nationally, but they're smaller, you know, locally owned shops, you know? So, and that's, and, and to, to discuss a little bit about where the market's gone, we've always focused. That's always been our strength has been the, the local restaurateur or regional restaurateurs, um, and, and operators. And you, when we started, you know, the retail game, especially, I mean, it was focused on the big box. It was focused on the Walmart and target anchors yeah, and, or, or the grocery anchored centers. And, and the market's just kind of played in our, into, into our strength. What we know is local. What we know is how to create a, a unique environment that people want to go to. It's where you want to go out for a date night. It's where you want to take your kids and play at the splash pad yeah. and hang out for a couple hours. And so the, the market's just kind of played into our strengths because that's what, always what we've been good at. And now you see the world, you know, in the days of online marketplaces and Amazon, those big boxes are going, people are trying to figure out what to do with them. What mm. do we do? with a 50,000 square foot space, right? When, you know, you know, the big box days are, are going away yeah. uh, when every, everybody's moving to online marketplaces. So it's just played into our strength. And so the last five years, we've seen an exponential growth in, in you know, the number of listings that we take, uh, the, the, the type of project that we're working on. You know, now the design of retail projects are totally different. Yeah. You don't see the big box in the middle. You know, you see main streets, you see splash pads, you see, you know, uh, 
you know, both vertically integrated and horizontally integrated projects with mixes, mixes of uses with residential, office, retail, you know, where, where you really can live, work and play. Yeah. Right? In real life as, as, as quickly and as fast and as, um, continual that the digital landscape is going to be, it's going to be even more prominent to be able to create centers where people can experience real life. Absolutely. Uh, we talked a little bit about the crucible as you've been following me on some of the social I stuff that I do. Amazing. And, uh, you can't, you can't advertise and market it. Well, you, you can't sell it at a store. You can't buy it at a gym. It's just one of those things. It's, you have to experience it. All of my learning at a high level has come from experiential based. A hundred percent. I have to. It's why, you know, I, I couldn't do impact church on my phone. I couldn't watch it on the screen. I need to right. go there and feel it and touch and see the smiles and see Andre at the front door handing out waters and see you on the screen, yep. but also see you over <laughs> a couple rows over. We're going to end like this. I ask this question often if, if today was your, your last day. Uh, what would you want your wife and your kids and, and your family to to know about you that maybe you tell them every day or maybe you've never told them before? Oh man, that's a great question. You know that that uh, I would want my wife and kids to to know don't don't be afraid to to love. Don't be afraid to fail. Uh, fail forward. Um, there's there's no uh, winning or losing. There's only winning or winning and learning. Um, I, I would want them to, to understand, you know, one of my biggest things that I try and teach my kids is that happiness is a choice. There's so many things in life that are, that are a choice. Love is love. Love at the end of the day is, is a, is a choice. I mean, love initially love is, is a feeling, um, but, but it, it, long-term love is a choice. I mean, people are going to do things that, that you may not like your spouse may not may do something that, that you don't, don't exactly, um, appreciate, but it's your choice to love unconditionally love her. Right. Um, and so to my kids just, wow, that's, that's good. It's hard to, to think about if I wasn't here, man. Yeah. Just choose to be happy. Um, stay involved um man that's that's a good one dude uh yeah don't be afraid to to wear your heart on your sleeve and be real yeah you know you gotta be you gotta be real for don't don't put on a facade and wear a mask be genuine love others um that's that's probably yeah that's that's (laughs) that's pretty good man on the spot TJ Clausen, it's been my absolute pleasure having you on the show, man. We'll have to have you back next year when you have uh, yes. baby number four. Man. For those of you listening, my man TJ is not on social media, at least not no. at, at, a, at a very high level. <laughs> and I respect that 100%. In, by, by choice, in, for in, sure. In the show notes, I will put his email and his website to his company, Ox Urban Properties. Yes. If you received value from this podcast if you got a a tip or a hack or an information or a quote or you just felt moved all we ask in return is that you simply share this podcast if you have the time and energy go in give us a five-star rating and a review and continue listening it is our absolute honor to bring you real live conversations with other men every week who are going through the struggles and the challenges of being a man 
and being a father. And we are committed to bringing you the most authentic and real conversations every time we do. I appreciate you guys for listening and we'll see you soon. Peace.